As a kid, I used to like um, think of artists as these snobby things and I was like, I'm never going to be an artist, but now I am. Hello and welcome to the Art Scoop podcast. My name is Sarah Modjanowski. Today I am talking with Wendy Yu, a contemporary dancer and multidisciplinary artist and performer. Wendy's next performance, Charlie Charlie, is part of Sydney Fringe Festival 2019 and is being performed at 107 Projects in Redfern on Thursday the 26th of September at 6pm. Tickets to Charlie Charlie are available through the Sydney Fringe Festival website. I put a link in the show notes and on the Art Scoop website. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Born in Sydney and then I went to the VCA and graduated VCA Fine Arts, specialising in dance. And it was actually during that fine arts degree that I was like, whoa, oh dear, I'm on the road to being an artist. That's like... But it was like fun because... I think that this was there was this you know preconceived perception that was just shattered and like the whole new world just came you know like beaming down into my eyelids and then I cried down rainbows yeah um and then so this is my first actually my first year of freelance work um and I have a few residencies coming up and for those residencies they're going to be my first residencies and I have no idea what to do but I have like burning questions that I do want to like discover and do want to find the answers for yeah and um in terms of like um the um the my medium of artistic creation it's like definitely bodies and um bodies in a like a traditionally non-theatrical space is like what I really love to do for example past few works that I've done have been in gallery spaces but um I think I'm um questioning that motive now and I'm like sort of questioning my um stance on performance art in a gallery space and not questioning it or criticizing it but just seeing how it can like evolve and grow and like um you know carry on to the next phrase um but then I also really love um making very like almost um I call it like strategic choreography, but what choreography isn't strategic in a way, like um, handling out aleatoric compositions. I, I will admit I had to go Googling on that. Yeah. I was like, aleatoric compositions? What? Yeah. Which, it sounds really cool, the idea of being left to chance, like some elements yeah. left to chance or left to the performers yeah. to decide. I was like, that's actually kind of fantastic. Oh, I love you. Um, <laughs> um, like the first time I came in contact with the term aleatoric and to some extent it's like an egotistic side within me not wanting to call it um, chance choreography in some ways it's like you know more fancy pants terminology to say aleatoric and people will be like wow what's that and like be more <laughs> more impressed of your like terminology but it's really just chance choreography almost and then also chance choreography being very um indicative of this character in dance history which was Merce Cunningham and John Cage who used to use a lot of chance choreography in their work so they used to like um, be in a studio with their bunch of dancers and flip a coin to see what the dancers would do what like the dancers which way the dancers will turn what their costumes will be and such like that and um, <coughs> Merce Cunningham and John Cage made like um, really amazing works but um, the first time I came in contact with aleatoric um, composition was in music classes in year eight music, and it was just you know composing 
the different notes based on which cars drove by and like which um, key signatures, not key signatures, but like, you know, I'm forgetting the terminology, but you know, like the pauses that you take in music and like, yeah, how you compose music that way. And then in um, that sort of elusive, aleatoric, like almost like the city's choreographing a work was sort of always in my mind, but it's been this year and hopefully in the next two residencies that I want to explore this, um, this like field of what aleatoric composition and choreography can achieve. That's so super amazing. I don't know, the idea of like cars being part of music is not what you would normally yeah. think of, but in a way that's very poetic and very like connected to like the city and the architecture and the space and saying that we're all part of something bigger, which yeah. is kind of nice to think that someone who has no idea they're part of your composition because they drive a red car or a green car or a white car is now part of music, which is That's really cool. cool. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I like to like think of the imagery of like bird watching, but human watching. So for like this one small study that I did to like experiment with, you know, what Eliotor could, could achieve um, choreography wise, I just, um, I sat, um, well, I stood next to a bridge in Melbourne and saw the people who walked past and I considered like the type of um, the type of jacket that they were wearing and like also their colours of shoes and pants as well but it became a bit too crazy so I just focused on like a simple thing which was you know the colour of their shirts but then I was like fashion these days what what is that colour it's like an amalgamation of like things I can't you know like is that a what pattern is that and most of all people were wearing black so I was like black 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 colour black 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 colour yeah um, but then also um, I did a same experiment on that with cars again, so um, based on the type of transport and you know the colour of the vehicle that drove by, so if it was cars it would be a car to the power of like one or two indicative of the colours um, and then like buses would be you know B and then trams would be T and then cyclists would be C and it just became like a symphony of like data that could be like process through a formula into like choreography and and um, I did that but it was very like <laughs> it became very like apathetic which was really like great to work with and like apathetic being like emotionless dancers like I am like you know almost very like robotic but having that like effect of a symphony come out between these five dancers that was like a really cool thing to witness yeah. That's so cool. Oh, I'm trying to envision all of this, uh, which is like cool. A lot of information. No, that's 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 super amazing. I'm like, I got most of that, I think. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, people watching is definitely people watching. a thing. Anthropology is just people yeah. watching. So and you studied anthropology, which is so cool because I feel like I've been robbed of my uni degree in in some ways because in the whole uni degree that I took, I only had um, two lectures and one tutorial. And so like in some part, like some part of me really does want to be like an academic and sort of invest my time into more academic studies. And I um, like I definitely want to achieve that. And it's not something that's like, you know, hindering me at the moment or anything. But um, yeah, what was I saying? Anthropology. Anthropology is so cool. So I took an anthropology elective and I was like, wow, 
is amazing. Like Franz Boa and like the armchair for anthropologist. Really cool. And I like admire that you did the whole like degree on it, you know? Yeah. Thank yeah. you. It was very much by chance. Really? Yeah. My undergrad was totally unrelated. So I did gender studies for my undergrad. That's so cool. And I started my masters of research in gender studies slash sociology. And it very quickly became obvious that my project was totally out of scope right. for that department. And they were like, well, you just have to change your project. And I was like, I'm totally not changing my project. And I ended up bumping into an academic who just started at the uni who was in the anthropology department, who was like, that totally fits in anthropology. Come over, come to the other come, side of the hall <laughs> and come to anthropology. So I, I transferred partway through my master's wow. from sociology to anthropology. That's pretty so I, cool. I think I only did three or four subjects, like coursework subjects in anthropology, and it was so much fun. I love that. I love leeway. Like, yes. Because it's, you know, it's your research, it's personalised, and plus it's, you know, past the undergrad degree where it's master's. And did you do master's in research, right? Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, you know, your research, it's just, it's beautiful. It's like we're all in this, this you know, droplet of water and humanity and PhDs and master studies are extending how far we can, you know, discover in hum humanity, you know. But it's really cool. Yeah, it's just nice to be able to play. Yeah. Whereas undergrad is very much like, there's a question, do the answer. There's a question, do the answer. Whereas doing like a research degree, it's like, there's a question. When you get to the other end, you'll probably just have a whole bunch more yeah. questions. Yeah. We're <laughs> kind of so not funny. expecting you to have an answer. That's so true. You which know? was really cool. No, to that's, be like, that's there amazing. is no answer. I can write like 20,000 words and not get to an answer, just to play and explore and work out what's going on. Yeah. So that was super cool. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm trying to actually get my master's by research in like fine arts somehow. But then I've also been told the advice that you your master's should, you know, further your practice. And I'm like, is a master's research in fine arts going to further my practice? It will, but but because you know this year like um sydney college of the arts has partly closed down in the masters of fine arts by research by coursework which wasn't really my first preference but like the option of having that has you know um not been available for this year but it's going to be available for next year so it's just an option for next year yeah um that's really interesting it was funny i was actually thinking as i went to macquarie uni and there was a really strong like film and like design side of the degree there and I was like I wonder if they'd let you do something really wild as long as you recorded yeah. it and they probably would um, the academics there were really really into like disruptive cinema and playing with the idea of like documentary not actually being truth right so they were really pushing what you could do with that and I've totally blanked on what like what the what the correct term for that for that type of documentary is but that's fine it'll come to me yeah. um yeah, like yeah. MCA at the moment has, I've totally forgotten the artist, but on the third floor of MCA there's, you know, an installation of augmented reality where an iPad is given and like, the performance is there, but it's not there, you know, it's really Which cool. Which is really amazing. Yeah. Um, I actually found that when I went to Sydney Contemporary there was the Joan Ross um, VR, Yeah. and I was like, the difference between augmented reality where like you're still in your body but you're looking through a device at a performance previously captured or previously recorded versus being in virtual reality where you put on a headset and you're like disembodied from the experience right. and I found that so interesting because watching people stagger around this space because they're trying to be in their head through this headset 
to see what's going on in this world that no one else can see, but then they have no spatial awareness or bodily awareness where they are. And I was like, that's such a disconnect for me. That's so cool. That sounds like, you know, an amazing, like, durational performance installation that could happen, you know, like you have a little hand pen and have these people with headsets on. Yeah, it was super interesting being like, they knew they were in space, but they didn't know where yeah. in space because of it's the like, VR and I was yeah. like oh I don't know how I feel about that that's Pe- so cool because like they lose like kinesthetic awareness as well like you know where your body is placed in the space and like you know having that disrupted is yeah an was, amazing experience it was super interesting I was a little bit too chicken to try it <laughs> but um no it was, it was really interesting um I think you've already covered a lot of stuff on the aleatoric composition that I had questions about which is cool um, oh, I can actually also give you another thing <coughs> with like aleatoric composition. So like aleatoric composition, um, you know, a way to tackle it is through, you know, composing that into, or not composing, sorry, um, like gathering your data and, you know, running them through a formula that can be applicable to the body and then, you know, seeing the results of aleatoric composition on the body. Or you can do it like this. I'm so ha- I'm like, this is something that I'm working on. And so basically, this is a, a matrix and it's moving to the speed of my voice. So the microphone is picking up this amount of like um, sound and then it, it becomes like interactive art. That's and then so with, fantastic. with one of the residencies that I'm hoping to get, I'm finding out on Monday, which is really, really like exciting. But it's also like I've gotten past all the hurdles now and like if I don't get it now, it's like the fall is further <laughs> and it's like, you know, the, the loss is greater. Um, but if I do get this residency, then I'll work with this. Um, so this at the moment is picking up sound and converting that into numerical data, but I can also program it and code it so that the camera picks up detail and converts that into numerical data, which affects the, um, like the, it's called jitter. So like it, f- it affects the thing and so what we can imagine is like um, an external sensor and then like doing the movement composition on top of that but also having the jitter being affected by the movement so it's like interactive user design thing that we can achieve I don't know what it is but it's like we'll find it and we'll have more questions after it you know that sounds like, so fantastic I did watch a couple of the little videos on oh yeah your website but I didn't quite grasp how that was coming about yeah but that's that's so cool to see it move as I'm talking that's really trippy that's really trippy at the moment it's being um times by 30 and then I can times it by 80 which would make it more sharper like like just it'll just be sharper because it's being multiplied by a higher number but if I affected it by the like original or like the I guess the like authentic data it just moves too slowly so I've been multiplying it by 30. That's pretty cool though the fact that it's all sort of there live interactive but the fact that you can edit as you go yeah. that's kind of cool just to be able to drag that around and because it's like, you know, it's like computers and puti- computers are just so logical. There's always a right and a wrong. And I kind of like that to rely on in a way because movement arguably is like opposite to that. 
like just like the phenomena like even if you compose something or like choreograph something without the intention of conveying the certain like phenomenological meaning or like image onto a viewer like it'll still like you know you know it just has like this external life that you can't control I always like refer to dance works as like babies almost like I'll give it its genetic makeup and it of course it's going to look like me because it shares my char characteristics and like it shares my like choreographic habituals or like desires that I always want to achieve but um like ultimately it grows away and then it grows up and then at 18 it really leaves you and like stabs you for your superannuation because it just like goes away you know like like you give it its bones and you give it its you know genetic makeup but because it's alive it just walks away from you and not not like um not that that's a sentimental thing but it just it's like never what you expect it to be anyway yeah but then with computers it's like i know i want it to achieve this and so i'm going to like achieve this <laughs> yeah i guess that's the the organic in organic yeah kind of aspect or the whole idea that even if you plan and choreograph something, depending on how you feel in your body on any day, it's going to have that variation. Yeah. Whereas the computer either does what you've asked it to do or doesn't do what you've asked it to do. And it's not as common for that variation to occur. Or when it does, it's considered more of a negative. Whereas in the body, variation yeah. of movement is just variation of movement. Whereas the computer doing something unexpected becomes a bug or a virus or a glitch or it, it's really categorized as something detrimental. Yeah, and like um, even the, like uh, a dancer called Pina Bausch, she was very like, um, very specific on eye gazing. I mean, not eye gazing, but placement of the like directions of the eyes that the dancers were to like maintain during their performance. And um, like with like creating an image with bodies like or creating a you know composed phrase with bodies that you know is imagery to an, to a viewer like uh, there's this thing called um, the whole like first four seconds of exposure and that's what cosmo cosmologists have um, referred to as like the first four seconds you'll see a new image and what that like generates within you and like phenomenologically feels towards you um so like even if a dancer you know does a simple thing such as change their eye placement it just like elicits a new thing and like of course we can't really help but read that um that intention and that um that symbol almost yeah so it's like if I'm doing a dance oh my gosh I'm in pain because like my eyes are down but I didn't mean to you know yeah. yeah I think it's so interesting though because we subconsciously read most of that yeah. we're not conscious that someone's eye placement is causing that change in reaction like whether or not they were looking directly at you or looking down or looking up or looking away but it can create a totally different emotive yeah. response and that's so fascinating to anticipate that and choreograph that into a performance. I never thought about gaze 
Yeah. Like, um, it's funny because in, in contact improv, um, which is like a movement style or technique, um, you have seven limbs, right? So usually we think of ourselves having, you know, four limbs, two arms, two legs, but seven limbs being like two arms, two legs, gaze, which is one of them, so that's five, and then pelvis is one of them, and then head is also one of them, so like the seven points of movement. And like in contact improvisation where your like weight has been being controlled by someone else's body, like the direction of gaze is like highly important as well. Like we un underestimate the effect that gaze can have in some ways. That's so much to think about. <laughs> That's so cool. Probably a really vague, broad question for you. What is art? <gasps> art is someone that we feel like we're spooning on the outside, but we feel a tap on our shoulders and we look back and we see that art has been spooning us the whole time. That's actually honestly my answer. I've actually thought about that question as well. Like some, someone was, um, you know, asked that. Um, and then that would be my, my my response because you know it's also like a fractal thing as well like fractals have you seen dr strange no yeah. like that there's a scene where like his fingers turn into hand into hands and then his like fingers turns into hand and like this constant like fractals almost like snakes being always about to shed their skin and so like um you know that point being like my perspective of art is like once i grasp a, like a slight understanding of what it is or what it can be I'm the one that's being like overpowered in, or like not overpowered but like like it's always one step ahead of me in some ways and I can never like fully grasp it yeah that is actually honestly my answer that's fantastic <laughs> that's it's cool to ask that and have someone have an answer instead of just being like oh I don't know paintings and stuff art what is art that's really cool. I actually yeah. really like that imagery. I came up with something um, the other day and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Because like, um, you know, like, like contemporary dance, which is, you know, the, the dance style that I usually like, I'm most familiar with, um, you know, is arguably, you know, well not arguably, but, you know, evidentially derived from classical ballet, right? And classical ballet is built on these five steps, which is, you know, first position, second, third, fourth, fifth. And then, you know, I, I was just, there one day looking into the sun and I was like whoa ballet even like new composed ballet operas and the the old ones as well like Swan Lake um they're all composed by from these five movements and like these five numerical steps that you see repeatedly and you expect repeatedly but then contemporary dance is getting into the decimals of that so it's like these infinites between each number that like drape down and I was like, yeah, no, I was like pretty, um, like, like, yeah, because ballet is just renumbered numerical sentences that you would expect, and like, yeah. That's a really cool way of thinking about it. Um, For you, what is your relationship between movement and creativity or creation? Cool. Yeah, actually, like, um, I've always felt in some ways a disconnect between, like, creativity and movement. And I feel like 
my adoption of aleatoric composition has been like a um, like a, a support for me to get back into movement in a way because um, like some part of me has just been so classically trained that um, I don't know how to like choreograph movement it like like stylistically like if you put a, a song on I'll like definitely jam out but sort of um, deriving those movements and like choreographing something that's just like you know something I'm like having trouble to do that anymore like choreographing for movement and for pleasure of movement but what was the question again like creativity and the, the, the relationship between movement and creativity movement and creativity yeah um through the aleatoric format I'm like trying to find like creative means of um like deriving movement from data that that you receive throughout the day um for example in the um fringe work charlie a large section of it was um resulted from just listening to a friend talk and so she would be talking about something and she was mentioning something costing a dollar fifty blah 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 like very colloquial colloquial language like this shit, I'm shit, uh, get back home, or something like that. Um, and then those movements being like a challenge through me, um, a number of um, like uh, systems to be, to arrive at a certain move. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know, it's just like creativity and movement. Yeah, I'm just really excited about like the infinite of, um, like movement possibilities in a way. For example, a way that I also like to choreograph is, um, you know, finding a word that's like, you know, that has been presented to you in that situation, and then like cutting that word in half, and then like seeing the <laughs> the lower or upper half. Oh, I should actually have my old notebook, but I don't have my old notebook. But that would have been like, oh damn, there's so much like information in there. Damn it, that's okay. Um, cutting that word in half and then seeing the the movements of the lines that are left on the paper and then like doing movements that reflect that or or another way that I like to get into it is you know taking a paragraph of a text that relates to something that is needed to be created um, and then you know singling out where the vowels are or like singling out where the like certain letters are such as a um, and then leaving a blank when, when they don't occur and then doing it that way as well. And then there's also, <laughs> sorry, there's also something called the Laban cube, which I kind of love, which is like this cube that's surrounding the person and it goes like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and then like all around you. And so when you are presented with a paragraph, if a word starts with the letter H, or something, you do a movement that will correspond to where H would be in that kinesthetic square that's surrounding you, and then you just spell out that word, you know? Yeah. That must create some really amazing shapes, as you said. Creates very apathetic shapes as well, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's like totally, totally like data derived, you know? Do you ever find that things become more free flowing from that? Um, yeah, I guess so. It also like depends on 
how strictly you want to stay towards that um, that formula, or you know, you have the leeway to blur the lines a little bit and like you know, blend it in almost. Yeah, that's cool. Um, probably a little bit more of a boring one. Yeah. Um, readiness. Did you or do you ever feel ready when it comes to performance work? I, I feel like especially like durational performance yeah, work. That's a really good question. I love you. Thanks for your time. Mm. Um, <laughs> like um, all the works that I've made so far, I've wanted to remount them and like, you know, um, like partly to let the world see them again and also partly to rework them because um, I feel like I've never really been like, s not satisfied, but there's always something that I could have done better with a work that I've been, that I've made, and I feel like that's that's cool to to see because it's you know, um, like uh, I don't know if I'll ever be ready. Yeah. Um, hmm. Readiness, like. So much to say that my mind is blanking. Like um, I guess what I was thinking when I was writing that question down was more about like your ritual leading up to performance, or like how do you, even if you're not mentally ready, how do you be present or prepared okay. to be ready to perform? Because there's always that ambivalent part of ourselves it's like I'm not ready to do this I can't do this what oh my god why I'm standing on the edge of the stage why why am I here that's so cool. and I think yeah. that's very human but yeah. in a way we create all these strategies to silence that oh, cool. and yeah. and I guess that's maybe what I was thinking right. about yeah like I guess it firstly depends on the distinguishing between like if it's your work and if it's someone else's work for example if it's um, someone else's work you try to become the choreographers. <laughs> There's a little game that um, that you know, we always used to play, which is spot the choreographer, because when you spot the choreographer in you know a small group work or like small group dance work, you can always tell who they are because they're the ones that are so like passionate and they're almost seduced by the music and the the meanings behind the. Thing and like seduced by the movements, seduced by you know themselves, and you can always see that. So um, before performing someone else's choreography, I'm trying to be the choreographer in that way, like having that mentality that this is you know like my work, like selfishly as well. This is my work because like I I totally contributed to this, even if it was you know just through my body or if it was through like my conceptual inputs or my choreographical inputs. Because um, yeah, rarely do you have um, a dance work that's solely choreographed by one person anymore. It's all like collaborative, or like at least the the the, the sector that I've been a part of, it's all been a very collaborative experience. Um, and so yeah, at that time I'm trying to like um, you know take ownership of this child that I helped to conceive in some ways. Um, but then performing my works, I'm trying to remove myself from that as well, <laughs> like because. Once again, if I was to be the choreographer, which I already am, then I feel like I'd be, you know, overly 
seduced by the the whole process and then you know be a clearly distinguished like choreographer like labeled you know wait that doesn't make sense but um yeah being the one that's just too passionate about the work because it's like yeah it's having more of like a communal mentality like this is our work I'll remove myself from the center of power or something yeah I guess that's really interesting the idea of blurring the lines between I don't know thinking linguistics sign signifier signified choreographer performer performance yeah I've always had this like post-structuralist mentality like you know I love the cesarean thing wait did you read that part where he's like um construction of words uh, in sentences are also like um, you know also have this hidden meaning because the words are like um, anagrams of something else and I was like oh that's cool so sad but I don't really understand you at this point in time okay um, yeah no I've always had this like post-structuralist mentality in terms of creating work and also viewing work as well um, like also kind of like a you know like a dogma almost um, which is the performer isn't the performer the author isn't the author and the viewer isn't the viewer and I feel like that's definitely like influenced me to make more like I don't want to say interactive but like where the audience has more control over how they view the work for example in the latest work that I've made which is Charlie the audience is free roaming which is something that like you kind of like often see now in the in the dance world but still I'd like to like indulge in that you know in that um, characteristic factor for a little while because I don't know how else to go you know yeah that's super interesting I think because you're also adding an element yeah to that performance with the bubble gum oh yeah that people maybe will react differently to the space for that like oh like I don't want to come in contact with bubblegum whereas maybe in a performance where there is nothing textual to get stuck to if you accidentally bumped into a performer there's no like hesitation about that whereas like adding that textual element of it could get stuck to me and then I could be sucked into the performance unintentionally is really interesting yeah, because it's, you know, there's always a barrier between performer and perform, wait, between before and audience. It's like, sometimes it's very tangible, like in, like, theatre performances, but then sometimes it does, like, thin out a little bit, like in free roaming audience positionings. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, I guess that's probably an easy segue into that's not even a week away what are your upcoming performances what's coming next for you where are you performing where can people engage with your work and connect with you if they want to know more oh stop it you're real. i love you so much uh, now just like appreciate this platform you know um i after making this work um i've been inspired to make more like dance centered works because a lot of the works that i've been doing so far have been like solo durational gallery installations because some ways um, sometimes it's um, like I don't want to say easier but it has just like you know come up more opportunities to do gallery installations 
Oh, which is something that I wanted to bookmark at the beginning of the talk, which was um, which was, yeah, like um, with durational performance installations at galleries, you have to physically be there, right? And so I'm trying to um, you know, like invest in a camera to make site-specific work so that you can make, you know, dance films and such and submit those into galleries or you don't have to physically be there anymore. Um, but in the creation of Charlie Charlie, which is the fringe work that's coming up next week, um, it was decided way back in March. And so during March, I didn't really know too much about the Sydney dance scene and I didn't really know who or like um, which dancers would want to collaborate with me. And also I didn't know if they were, you know, trained towards like and geared with tools that I'd like to work with. And so I just employed my friends who knew how I liked to choreograph and knew what um, I liked them to contribute. Um, and so I just like thoughtlessly hired them. But because it's a working, it's a work in progress, um, whenever I did want to like work on the work and like work on finding something through the movement, I couldn't because they were they would be interstate and these two people are Melbourne based and so I'd have to go to Melbourne <laughs> to like work on the work there and then come back to Sydney which isn't really like the best thing like definitely isn't the best thing I think I made in total like two trips um, which isn't too bad because Jetstar sales were really great um, um, and but yeah after making this work I'm inspired to make more like dance oriented works again um, there's an issue in Sydney at the moment with the minusculisation of dance because um, well, funding to the dance sector has been cut severely and we can see that through the, the cutting of the Dance funding rounds for next year. Um, and that has, you know, the minusculisation of dance has occurred before this funding cut but, you know, it's going to affect it more come next year. But because there aren't many like there aren't many opportunities to be paid as a dance artist and that includes grants and like grant applications you're more inclined to do solo works to keep most of the profits that you would um, you know obtain if you manage to obtain that in the first place and so um, and so yeah we, we see a lot of dancers who are in residencies making solo works and um, that's something that I, I guess noticing that fact has influenced me to do the opposite which I don't know how I'm gonna a find the funding to do that and like b find all the bodies that I would need to like make this dream come true which is like working title large works um, and large works being you know letting the city be the canvas on which the bodies will move on so like removing it from that traditional theatrical setting and placing it on you know the, the city almost like Martin Place is um, a center that I would love to put this work on and it's just you know simple patterns that like that can be achieved and that you know deliver such like intricate and like strategic feelings within the viewer
and we don't usually see that because maybe we consider it too simplistic to show on stage. Wendy's upcoming performance of Charlie Charlie is happening as part of Sydney Fringe Festival on Thursday the 26th of September 2019 at 107 Projects in Redfern. Tickets are available on the Sydney Fringe Festival website. I hope to see you there. For more information about Wendy and to stay up to date with her work, follow the links on the Art Scoop website for her website and Facebook page. This episode was made possible with thanks to Wendy Yu and Michael Modronowski.